they wanted, that they were very self-seeking. And I want to touch on three aspects of worship that I think is commonly missed um, and why it's so important. When we look at worship, the first thing that we see is it kind of comes out of a sacrifice. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see the first sacrifice between Cain and Abel. We already see that the devil is intervening. He was putting jealousy in one's heart, right? It was meant to be an offering of basically to show God how much we loved him, an offering to show that we didn't deserve what was going to be given to us, but it was going to be given. And what we find is, is that that had transitioned to us today as Christians, though we don't, we don't bring our cattle, we don't bring our grain offering in here anymore. We do something in a worship where we give an offering of our lips and of our praise and of in song. And that is actually biblical. If we look at our first scripture, I want to pull up Hebrews 13, 15. And the first aspect of worship is that it is a sacrifice. It says, therefore, in Hebrews 13, 15, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our alliance to his name, or allegiance to his name. I'm sorry. Uh, another version says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. So when we meet and we're praising God in song, we are offering a sacrifice to him. It's about him. It's not about our likes. It's not about what's pleasurable to our ears. It's about what will be acceptable to God. So the first aspect of it is a sacrifice of praise. Um, I'm here to tell you, uh, when you move into maturity, I like a lot of different music. Now, I do like contemporary, but I can listen to Christian rap. I can listen to Christian rock. I can listen to acapella, just sing. I can listen to hymns. As long as it's praising God's name and it's speaking out in God's truth, I can, I can worship in my heart no matter what it sounds like. And I think that's the maturity that we have to come into as Christians is move into that where it's not about us. Get, we got to get over ourselves at some point in time, right? And what we're finding a lot in, especially Western culture, um, we're very self-serving. And that's really where the sacrifices go wrong. We find when they're self-serving in the sacrifices, we see a lot of evil creep in. But it's not about us. It's about offering him a sacrifice of praise. I want to go to another scripture uh, that kind of confirms this. And it's in Psalms. It's Psalms 107, 21, 22. I'll read my version. I don't know what we have up there. It says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wondrous deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. That is exactly what happens in the church, and that's where we see the origins of what we do in here. It is an offering that we're sending. Uh, there's some versions that say that there, it's like an aroma that goes up and is pleasing to God's nose. He smells it. Like, have you ever smelled a, a perfectly seared steak being cooked? You know, just like, oh man, you're walking by Western Sizzling or whatever, you're like, my mouth's water, that smells so good. Well, that's kind of what the analogy that it gives with God when we give up our praises. There's other scriptures that say that, the, that God inhabits the praise of his people. So that leads us into the next aspect of what God and what praise does. It invites God's presence. And that is the other thing that we 
we, uh, we do when we go into praise. When we are meeting around and we are praising and our hearts are, are just saying, God, I love you so much and you're so great and we just praise you, we are asking for God's presence to come down. And when you look at the Old Testament, when the temple was first dedicated, it's a powerful scene of fire that drops down into the temple and consumes. It's God's presence coming down to where the people were at. Now, one thing that happens when we invite God's presence, all of us come in here, we all got a lot of things we're dealing with, right? We all got a lot of battles we're fighting. We're all, we got people in here that are fighting with relationship problems, with addiction problems, with anger problems, with temptation problems, with cancer, with illness. All of us bring those things when we meet together as God's people. But when we praise God, we ask for God to come and fight for us. He's supposed to come and he fights for us on a different plane than what we're on. It's a supernatural, spiritual plane that we're asking him to come fight for us on. And one of the greatest examples that I love, absolutely love, comes out of Second Chronicles. And uh, there's a king named Jehoshaphat. And this king, he, he did some really good things. This is one of the greatest things that he did. And it's one of the most awesome pictures in the Bible. One of, one of many, but it's one that is really, really awesome. So... Jehoshaphat is a good king of the people of Judah at this time. They're a small tribe, right? And um, they're in a lot of trouble. They've got three nations that's came up and joined to destroy them. And um, they're coming to get them. And there is a young man, I believe his name was Jezeel. I can't remember. I think that's who it was. And he says, hold on, listen. God's going to show up in a big way, people. And Jehoshaphat listens, and he listens to what he says, and he gets down, and he, they pray, and they're earnestly saying, God, come and fight this victory for us. And what do you think happens? We're going to read a little bit of that, and it reminds me a lot of, uh, we was in George's class a little while back, and I, I paint this picture, kind of aside from the way the Bible's going to read it, but I want you to think about this battle going on. Here's little Judah. And they're meeting out in the desert, and here's this three-nation army that's come up against us. One, uh, a while back in George's class, we were talking about end-of-time prophecies, and we were talking about how there was going to be an army that would stretch from horizon to horizon, and you could not take it all in, all in one eye. This is kind of the picture that I see. And Daniel shared with us one of his experiences back in Iraq that I thought was pretty cool. He got to see a joint um, military exercise of seven nations in the desert. And he said it was so vast that he couldn't see the end of it on either side coming across the desert. Now, I, I thought of that picture when I think of little Judah out there, you know, and they're getting ready to go up against these three nations that have got them vastly outnumbered. And let's go to 2 Chronicles 20, 24, and we're going to hear what happens, okay? And this is the inviting of God to fight for us in the supernatural plane. It says in verse 20, They got up early in the morning and went out to the desert of Tekoa, when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and people of Jerusalem. Trust in the Lord your God, and you will be made strong. Trust in the men who speak for him, and you will do well. He has spoken with the people, and he's called those who sang to the Lord and those who praise him in holy clothing. They went out in front of the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness lasts forever. They began to sing praises, and the Lord set traps against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were destroyed, and the men of Ammon and Moab fought against the people of Mount Seir and killed them. And when they finished with the people of Seir, they all helped kill, 
kill each other. Judah came to the place where they could look out over the desert. When they looked towards the armies, all they saw was dead bodies lying in the ground. No one had been left alive. See, when we go into a place of worship, can you imagine this army? Like we talked about like what Daniel witnessed. Can you imagine this army coming against another army out in the desert? And here they put these worshipers out in front, right? They're in these clothing, dancing around, waving flags like we've seen, and playing the instruments and singing where you would think that the mightiest part of the army would be at the forefront, right? But no, Jehoshaphat says, we're not the ones going to win this battle. We're going to put our praise first, and God's going to come and fight for us. So as they're dancing about, what happens? God shows up in a big way. Something supernatural happens, and the men turn on each other. Now, I could see somebody arguing and saying, well... I think that maybe uh, the men of Mount Seir and maybe the, the Amalites maybe got into argument and then something went awry and they killed each other. But after they killed one side, then they turned the sword on their own people? That was God. And when we go into praise, that's what we ask. We ask for God to fight for us on a supernatural plane. Fight a battle that we can't fight. Fight it in a spiritual realm that we can. And that is one of the most important aspects. We got one, offering a praise. And two, we should have a heart that we are inviting God to fight on a supernatural plane for us. That is so, so powerful when you look at that in what we do in here every Sunday, right? Now, stick with me. This is going to be a short one, okay? But this one is important because this one, I feel like I can back up uh, with Scripture. But this is kind of a little bit of my own personal experience with, uh, with worship, um, I believe that Paul gives us a little bit of hint of how worship actually helps us in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to hold off before we do the scriptures. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us an, an analogy of spiritual warfare. And this is my dad's favorite part of the Bible, by the way. Um, he gives us the spiritual armor. And this armor that he is describing, when you, when you actually look at what's going on in that time period, and he's, he's describing this to other Jews, would have been the armor of the Roman centurion. This is what they've seen every day, right? For the past decades, they've seen nothing but oppression from Rome. Rome is marching the streets. Rome is everywhere. The soldiers are always there keeping these troublesome Jews under their thumb, right? Um, we even find that some archaeologists believe that the Wailing Wall that the Jews go to right now was actually part of a Roman compound that was put there to control the people because they knew that those pesty Jews, if we can control them at that temple, we got them controlled. So we're going to put a compound there. And I believe that's scriptural because Jesus said that there wasn't going to be a stone on top of the stone of that, of that temple. So I don't believe any of it's standing right now at all. I believe that was, that was part of what was going on in that culture at that time. So Paul starts to describe the Roman soldier to the Jews. And he describes one part of it that really stood out to me when it comes to my worship and what I need. And it's in Ephesians 6.16. If you could turn to that real quick. He, he talks about a part of the armor that might be the most important part of the Roman soldier. He says, in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So we find, when we look historically of the Roman soldier, there was a couple different shields they held. One was a decorative one you might see in pictures. They rode on horseback, and they may have marched with in some ceremonial dress. But the other was called a scutum. Now, a scutum was very, very important. This is what the ground soldiers 
wore and what they carried. The scutum was a little bit different. The scutum was about as tall as the man and narrow, but it was built in a way that they could maneuver it, but it would cover their body from the attack of the enemies. Because as they would approach the enemies, what would come first? The arrows would. Specifically, the flaming arrows, right? So this scutum was interesting because it was actually covered with a rawhide. Because if it was all metal, the Roman soldiers would not have been able to maneuver it in battle. It had been too heavy. It had been too cumbersome. Um, I got to have a little bit of experience with some of the things I've done in my work with handling a shield. And let me tell you, when you get a really, really heavy one, I wasn't going to last very long. So um, the scutum was very important, but there was a, an important aspect of the scutum that every Roman soldier had to take care of it with. And that was he had to anoint it. So what they used for an anointment, they used a combination of oil and water. And they would saturate the exterior of this scutum. Because when those arrows came in, it had to have that oil and water on it to put the arrows out. What does it have to do with our faith? What's going to happen to you when you leave here today, this week? Each one of you is going to get shot at. You're going to get shot at by temptation. You're going to get shot at by discouragement. You're going to get shot at by so many flaming arrows that Paul was trying to point out to us. There's something important that has to happen in worship to you for you to withstand that. You have to be in a place of anointing when you're in worship. You have to be preparing yourself for the battle that you're going to face this week. And it doesn't have to just be in this church. It might be on your drive to work when you're praising and listening to the radio. I don't know how many times I've went to work and my mind was in the wrong place and I fell hard, right? But the days that I was in a place of worship, well, no matter what it was, like I said, sometimes it was, uh, sometimes <laughs> it was Flame or Lecrae. Marcus, I know you hear me back there. All right, give you a shout out. Um, it could have been anything. As long as they're praising Jesus' name, I felt like I was walking in that place anointing. There wasn't nothing that could shoot at me that was going to hurt me. But I had to go to a place of worship first. And that's why worship is important to you. That's the third aspect that you always got to focus on. If you don't have worship in your life, you're going to get burned up. Amen. You're not going to make it because your faith is going to get weak. Your faith is going to get brittle. And your faith is going to eventually get burnt. So you have to stand behind and be a person of worship if you're going to make it in this world because you know the shots are coming. These are the three aspects that when I really look at worship that I think are the most important. An offering of praise, an invitation for the supernatural to fight for us, and an anointing on our faith that we have to have. Every time we come in here, we need to focus on those things. And I believe that we'll move to the person that Jesus wanted us to be when he met the woman at the well. We look at, as my final thought, we look at Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And um, it's very apparent to her very quickly that he is somebody special. Because he's telling her stuff about her life that nobody knows but her, right? And he points things, things out. She gets a little nervous and she starts talking about worship. But she starts talking about a political debate at the time, right? Do we worship on the mountain, down in Jerusalem? She tries to change the topic. And he says these very important words. And if you could bring them up, I want you to go to John 4, 23. Jesus tells us this is the type of worshiper he wants us to be. He says, yet there is a time coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. See, if we can start getting worship right, 
There's miraculous things that are going to happen in the church. There's miraculous things that will happen in your life. But there's two things that Jesus said, truth and spirit. Spirit, one, we're open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. We believe that supernatural power comes from the Holy Spirit. We know of the gifts that are provided to us, the weaponry that is given to us in those fights, and we're open to receive them once we've accepted Christ. But they must all fall in obedience with God's truth. If they go outside of that word, they're not of God. He gives us the parameters that they all stand in. And he says, if we can become that type of worshiper that will be open to the Spirit, that will fall in line with the Word of God, he says there's things that we're going to do that are amazing. There's things that you're going to be able to do that are powerful. God's going to work in a big way, just like he did for Jehoshaphat, but it's going to be in your life, the people's lives around you. So let's remember that. I'm going to close with this thought. When we end with the worship, I want you to ask God to make you a true worshiper. I want him to show you a level of spiritual maturity in your worship that's going to help you win battles. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we just pray, help us to understand that worship's not about us. Though we do to get an anointing from it, and there is a strength that comes out of it, it's an offering that we give to you. And it's an invitation that we give to you. It's an invitation to come fight for us. And a heavenly dad always fights for his kids. And that's what we are. So God, as we close this morning, I just pray that we offer you one last sacrifice of true worship. And we just invite your presence to be here. We pray that through song and through praise and through prayer and laying on. And we pray, give us all those resources. Healing. Heal us, Father. We pray that through Jesus' name. Amen.